This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, August 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, Senator Hickenlooper visits San Miguel County. The San Juans see a productive monsoon season. The poetry of mushrooms. And a mountain weather forecast. Access to quality, affordable health care is a challenge in rural Colorado. On Wednesday, Senator John Hickenlooper was in Norwood for a discussion on those regional difficulties. Hickenlooper met with local stakeholders, including Chuck Porth, the CEO of the Uncompagre Medical Center. According to Porth, UMC's service area expands over 2,000 square miles. Last year, three out of four people that live in the Norwood zip code were seen here. One out of every two people that live in West Montrose County were seen here. So they're traveling here. And the patients that are coming in to see us, if you believe in the social determinants of care, one out of every five have a housing or a meal insecurity. One out of nine have transportation problems. That's who we take care of. The Uncompagre Medical Center is a federally qualified health center. That means it receives partial funding from the federal government and provides services on a sliding scale for those under or uninsured. Porth notes that while the COVID pandemic brought its own host of challenges, as the country moves away from COVID, that brings its own set of worries. Namely, who qualifies for Medicaid once COVID is no longer deemed a public health emergency. When that ceases to be, I have another financial cliff that I have to figure out how to do. Because suddenly the definition of who qualifies for Medicaid changes. So right now, my Medicaid book of business is about 56% of what I bill for. When Medicaid definition changes, 20% of that 56% becomes self-pay, which means that instead I'm making these numbers up now. What that means is that 20%, I'm no longer going to get, say, 245 bucks for a visit. I'm going to get paid somewhere between 10 and $20. Porth points to restrictive funds as another major hurdle for the medical center. But it's not just the money coming in and out of the med center that's a challenge, Porth notes. Staffing and infrastructure are big concerns. Two years ago, we would post an ad and we would get several applicants for any job. That's gone now. At this point, when I, two years ago, everybody that worked for UMC came into the building and worked for UMC. Now I have employees, not contractors, employees working out of four states. That creates issues in regards to communication, teamwork, technology, and the beat goes on. So I've got employees in Tennessee, Texas, and Utah. All right. And it's because you can't find them here. Norwood Mayor Candy Meehan adds staffing is difficult in part due to housing. But housing is difficult because of issues with infrastructure. Well, we can't provide housing because we don't have water, right? So when we go to start providing housing, there's a concern of how many more taps and how many more houses can we sustain on our, you know, our aging infrastructure. And that goes back to you. And we're not unique. It's it's all over the state. I mean, how much money was put into, you know, infrastructure across the nation, across the state? 
you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, well, it's all aging out now and we all need repairs, but there's no money. That's a point Senator Hickenlooper pushes back against. Wait, 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 wait. We, just, we just passed the largest infrastructure commitment in the history of America, or at least certainly back to the Great Depression, right? So the money's there. I mean, the, the yeah. real challenge is how do you get, yeah. get involved in that food chain Yep. And, and what we did in, in Congress was really push that responsibility to the states because all we heard from everybody was, you know, the, the, the federal government makes a mess of these things. But we as state, as local governments, the counties, municipalities, and state governments are going to do much better. Hickenlooper says it's up to the state and local governments to advocate for that funding. Push comes to shove. Porth says he doesn't want rural health care to be left in the dust. And I get it, the, the world's full of other priorities right now, whether you're the county or the city or the school or wherever. And I just hope that we don't always fall to the bottom of the list of priorities, thinking that somebody else is going to take care of it. Because I can tell you the county and the city and et cetera don't have the resources to pick it up either. President Biden recently signed a bill that aims to tackle health care, infrastructure, and climate change. Democrats say the bill will lower costs on prescription drugs and invest in renewable energy infrastructure. Earlier this week, the federal government announced it's increasing water restrictions across the Southwest amid a historic drought. Given the years of strain on the Colorado River, which services much of the region, this announcement comes as little surprise. But for residents of Telluride, whose streams feed into the Colorado River, this summer's weather has been defined by a distinct phenomenon, rain. For a snapshot on our local monsoon season and its effects on the broader region, KOTO's Gavin McGough has more. Back in the spring, San Miguel County was facing a pretty familiar problem. Things were darn dry. Even though snowpack in the mountains had hit a normal level over the winter, stream beds this spring saw significantly less water than usual. A hydrologist for the state of Colorado, Carl Wetlaufer, says that some stream flows were down by more than half. Through the San Miguel River, um, we had a near-normal peak snowpack, but the observed stream flow volume was only 56% of normal. So how is there a normal amount of snowfall and then a dry spring? Wetlaufer explains that mountain soils went into the winter extremely dry. As snow melted, the earth drank up a lot of that water, so it never made it into stream beds and down into the valley. So when the snow starts to melt on top of a really dry soil structure, it actually has to absorb a significant amount of that water before it's really be able to transmit to the stream channel and actually usable to the public. This summer, however, has been a different story. If it's felt like a particularly wet summer in town, Wetlaufer says you're not wrong. San Miguel County has experienced almost twice as much rain as usual. Yeah, so this has been a very productive monsoon season so far for southwest Colorado in particular. Um, Much, much different than we've seen the last two summers, which really remained quite hot and dry throughout. So currently looking at the San Miguel Basin in particular, over the last 60 days, has received 182% of the normal amount of precipitation. All this rainfall comes with a lot of benefits. It helps out farmers, feeds wildlife, and reduces wildfire risk. 
Another benefit? Wetlaufer explains that if soils stay wet into the fall, next year's snowmelt won't be absorbed as rapidly and streams will run more full. Hopefully, you know, we'll be able to retain a lot of this soil moisture that we've been gaining um, going even through the rest of summer into fall leading up to the next winter season. The moisture from the summer could then linger and help out in future seasons. Really large benefit to the streamflow runoff next year and, and water resources down the road as well. Any sort of longer-term outlook for the area's water resources is, if anything, foggy. Wetlaufer explains that rather than a distinct trend towards wet or dry, recent summers have tended to swing dramatically. This may be part of a change in global climate. Um, what we have just been observing uh, within the year-round hydrologic cycles is larger swings from, you know, near-record highs to near-record lows. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things have become seemingly a little less predictable than we've observed in the past. Wetlaufer also says that what happens in Colorado affects water resources across the entire southwest. The San Juan Mountains feed into the Colorado River Basin. This river supports vast reservoirs in the southwest, which in turn feed major metropolitan areas. As the west coast experiences a historic mega drought, climate change, and tightening water use restrictions, any extra moisture is a great benefit. With um, both Lake Powell and Lake Mead being at record low or very near record low levels, um, that's impacting reservoir management upstream, uh, which, which includes many of the major river basins coming out of the San Juan Mountains in southwest Colorado. Um, so every bit of moisture we're getting is, is going to be a huge benefit, uh, not only for folks locally in Colorado and southwest Colorado, but really across the entire west. So as residents of San Miguel County enjoy a year of fabulous wildflowers and the soft, cool sounds of rainy nights, Many across the Southwest may be hoping that some of that water trickles on downstream. For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough. Why write and listen to poetry about mushrooms? Rosemary Watola Tromer's answer is another question. <laughs> Why not? I guess that's the real answer. Why wouldn't we want to listen to poems about mushrooms? Watola Tromer is a local poet in the Telluride region and one of several writers reading work at the Telluride Mushroom Festival's annual poetry show. Nobody really understands them, so there's lots of mystery there. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good for metaphors. It can be very poignant. It can be very funny. Diva Chisonis is also presenting work at the show. She estimates she started writing mushroom poetry about seven years ago. It's a huge dance, and when the mushrooms decide it's time, it's time. It's not up to us. So that's why we go out. That's why it's called mushroom hunting, because you hunt and you might not get. Mushrooms are thonics. They grow underground. The fruiting body of a mushroom, which is what we see when, when we're talking about mushroom hunting, is related to a massive underground microscopic, often mycelial network that we don't see. Art Goodtimes and Joanna Spindler are two other local poets presenting work. And it's very fleeting. It comes up for a very brief amount of time and then it deliquesces back into the ground. Mycelia is the underground network of hyphae, little tiny thread-like roots that are all through the soil. In fact, they say in some soils, 
you can, in one square inch of soil, you can find six miles. When you walk over a hill and you see this spot and you're like, there, there, the chanterelles will be there. And you walk over to this meadow and sure enough, you know, this giant orange cart. Every year is so different. Every season is so different. Every zone is so different. You can go back to the spot that's been good for you for 10 years and then for three years it's not, you know, and you start questioning, is it me? You know, or will you be here for me next year? Or what do I need to do for you? Do I need to do something better for the planet to have the karma, you know, come back at me? Good Times is the poet-in-residence of the Telluride Mushroom Festival, as well as the poetry editor of Fungi Magazine. Much of the festival focuses on the culinary, medicinal, and ecological elements of mushrooms. But Good Times also stresses the importance of art to, in his words, temper the sciences. The arts, he says, humanize us and make us more understanding of the surrounding world. That's the wonder of the arts. They really make us ask questions that we don't do sometimes when we're simply doing fact-gathering or observation or recording. Anytime that we're involving sciences, there's almost always a way for the arts to also enter into that conversation and open it up in a way that's playful, in a way that is heartfelt, and to bring playfulness and heart to any conversation, I think, helps bring it purpose. As poets, I think it's our job a little bit to record a zeitgeist. It's only really been in the last, in my mind, like five, ten years that the scientific community, the ecological community, the medical community, psychological community has come around to being like, oh yeah, mushrooms are the answer for microremediation. Mushrooms are good for dealing with PTSD. Mushrooms can help with cancer. Of course, I couldn't chat with this collection of mycological bards without asking them to read a sample of mushroom poems from years past. Just as you give up, there, through the trees, you see a clearing. Yo ando siempre cantando. Make me a god of flowers and shrooms. Basket, a knife, a nose primed for fungi. Packed for the hunt, I'm off. Is a privilege to wander through the forest, to palaver with the ponderosa chorus. Some can pretend anything except what's true. Although... Most of us can smell truth. This deciduous douche, this saprobic scrubbing. Walk to the clearing, and there, in the moss, hundreds of chanterelles. What love suddenly may be rot taking root. Giving gratitude for all that grows around me. My cilium and ungulates abound. Make me one. Quiero andar siempre con By wet wisdom, things click into hope. place. We are all fruiting bodies, evolved in silence, anywhere you tender can for the pigs. By no gates, no nearly limits, everything. Just space, possible. no fences, no gates, no limits, just space. The Michaelicious, Michaelicious, Michaelogical Poetry Show is this Friday. August 19th at 9 p.m. in the Sheridan Opera House. For those without Mushroom Festival passes, tickets are available at the door. There will also be a free open mic Friday afternoon at 4.30 in the Opera House for anyone who wants to read some poetry. The bits of poetry read for this piece were excerpts from Rosemary Watola Tromer's poem, Mushroom Hunting in the Morning, Art Good Times' poem, Siempre Cantando Flowers and Shrooms, Diva Chisonis' poem, Medicine Woods, and Joanna Spindler's poem, Boundless. Original music in this piece by Travis Fisher.
Reading is fundamental, and stand-up paddleboarding is superb. Why not put them together? This weekend, the Wilkinson Public Library's book club is going on an adventure to the Down Valley Pond. The Adventure Book Club will allow reading fanatics to discuss what they've been diving into while paddleboarding. The event will take place on Saturday, August 20th at 4 p.m. at the Down Valley Pond. The book club is BYO SUP. Those who don't have a paddleboard can enter a raffle for a free rental. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. A light spattering of music will offer some melody this coming weekend across the Telluride region. This Friday, Kenneth Penman is playing the Telluride Farmer's Market from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Andy Jones is at Heritage Plaza from 1 to 6 p.m. And Lady is playing Music on the Green in Reflection Plaza from 5 to 7 p.m. Saturday, catch Heather and Douglas at Heritage Plaza from 1 to 6 p.m. And Sunday, Justin Leffler is at Heritage Plaza from 1 to 6 for more live music info, check out KOTO's live music calendar at koto.org. Get your grid on and your race legs ready. The John Wayne Cancer Foundation is hosting a True Grit half marathon and 5K trail race in Ridgeway next week. The race will meander through locations seen in the original 1969 film, Organizers say the run is a challenging course on single-track trails and fire roads, crisscrossing private ranches only accessible to racers. The scenery includes views of the San Juan Mountains, the True Grit Barn, wildflower valleys, and herds of majestic elk. The True Grit Half Marathon and 5K Trail Race will take place in Ridgeway on Saturday, August 27th. Registration is available at johnwayne.org. Students and teachers are heading back to classrooms, but keeping schools staffed from cafeteria workers to instructors is an ongoing challenge. The high cost of living in many parts of Colorado has become a huge issue. A new study from the Keystone Policy Center called Home Ownership for Colorado Teachers, Affording the American Dream, shows that wage hikes alone may not be enough to allow teachers to live where they work. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Shannon Young spoke with Van Scholes, Senior Policy Director of the Keystone Policy Center. We decided to take a look at salaries and also the cost of owning a house and purchasing a house in the school districts in which teachers teach. We know that recruiting and retaining great teachers is essential to having effective public education. And we know that we had known that salaries have been going up. We also know that the cost of a house has been going up dramatically in many parts of Colorado. And we wanted to get a much better sense of sort of in details around what those relationships are and how things vary and also begin to understand if there are problems, what we could do about them. Your study found that in the year between 2020 and 2021, housing prices in Colorado increased by 20%. Are those prices still rising or are there any signs of relief? Yeah, we're not real estate experts. And so and these things obviously are changing, you know, week to week and month to month with interest rates rising. And, and um, it seems as if at least things are cooling off a bit. Um, but because of the 
interest rates rising and and also the cost of real estate in most places that um, we haven't seen a dramatic change from where the data was in 2021. And housing prices also affect families who send their students to these schools. What does a school district do when, one, they can't find someone to fill a position, and two, there aren't enough students? Yeah, it's a real challenge on the staffing front. I mean, it means that folks have to commute long distances, which has an impact on their job performance. It also means often that folks who maybe have worked, been working in that school district are moving into a place where they may want to have a family, um, settle in, move from renting to owning, are forced to move to other places where they may be able to more easily afford a home. And so what happens is, is that that helps drive the churn of staff in particular school districts. So what does this mean for the quality of education that teachers can provide? And what are the longer term impacts on society? Right. Well, we're very concerned that this will have a huge negative impact on the quality of teaching and who can teach in particular parts of the state. We point out that salaries have risen. Obviously, the more that you are paid, the more purchasing power it comes in terms of home ownership. The problem in many parts of Colorado, as is the case in many parts of the of America, is the cost of housing has risen much faster than salaries have. And so in many parts of Colorado, there may only be a couple of percent of housing stock that's even potentially available to you. Boulder, for example, Boulder has one of the highest average salaries in the state. It's around $85,000 a year. Um, but the share of, of homes that that salary might enable you to purchase is only 16%, which is a relatively small percentage. You mentioned that the, the relatively high salary for Boulder teachers, that doesn't translate to all school districts. Now, we've talked about the, the front range. What about in these mountain districts that are also incredibly expensive? Right. Boulder is on the high side of salary. And so most salaries throughout the rest of Colorado are significantly lower. And so in some of those places, for instance, on the Eastern Plains, the cost of home ownership is much less. And so, in fact, you may have more purchasing power in other parts of Colorado, even though the salaries are much lower. But in many parts of the state, for instance, Summit County, the salaries are not as high as Boulder and the cost of housing is substantially higher. And so there's only 4% of homes that are even potentially available to folks. And we didn't look at what's on the market. And so those numbers are much smaller when you look at actually what's on the market, you know, in any given month. My guest today has been Van Skoll, Senior Policy Director of the Keystone Policy Center. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. A judge in Fort Collins has ordered a legal advisor to former President Donald Trump's campaign to testify in front of a grand jury. KOTO Scott Franz reports the case is tied to election tampering allegations in Georgia.
Jenna Ellis worked as a prosecutor in Weld County before giving legal advice to the Trump campaign following their 2020 election loss. Prosecutors say Ellis took part in the campaign's plan to influence election results in Georgia and other states. The Associated Press says prosecutors are interested in Ellis's role organizing legislative hearings that raised unfounded allegations of voter fraud. Ellis testified at an election security meeting at the Colorado State Capitol in support of auditing the state's voting systems. Democrats called the hearing a waste of time and defended the integrity of Colorado's elections. I'm Scott Franz. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms. The low is around 50 degrees. Friday, there's an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a high in the mid-60s and a low around 50 degrees. Saturday calls for showers and thunderstorms with a high in the mid-60s. Saturday night, expect mostly cloudy skies with a chance of showers and thunderstorms. The low is in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Thursday, August 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.